0: Oh, sound is a six-man crew, plus scoring, plus ADR, plus your three Foley artists, and then you get to the dub stage, um, where you have two, two guys behind the console, um, you've got a recordist in the back, and you're paying for stage time. A lot of that comes as a surprise to a lot of first-time movie makers.
1: Welcome to the fourth episode of This Post Life, a podcast about transitioning to your life's passion and how sometimes it may be the hardest thing you'll ever do, but hopefully it'll be the best thing you'll ever do. As I transition into post myself, I will share that journey and also bring you stories from other people. This is an interview with Sean Massey, most recently the supervising dialogue editor for Deadpool 2. Uh, About five years ago, I met Sean at the Los Angeles Post-Production Group. Back then, he was on the TV side mostly and just a little bit on the feature side, but um, he has a lot of cool movies and things that he was a part of. Well, let's take a trip back to then as we sat in his apartment drinking scotch, and he talked to me about his path from university in Toronto to dialogue editing in Los Angeles, California. So I'm here with Sean Massey, and you're a dialogue editor for Sony Pictures.
0: That's correct, yeah.
1: What's the difference between a dialogue editor and, I guess, just any editor or a picture editor? What's?
0: Um, well, the picture editor has to do their job first to make sure that uh picture's been timed out correctly and the flow of the movie's there, and then uh, when they're complete or nearing completion uh, for a locked cut, Then it'll come over to the sound department and my job is to clean up um, all of the dialogue that came from location. So I'm either trying to make that sound better, find alts, or I'm trying to prep the material so that uh, when ADR is shot, then they have no problem sliding that in. When I say clean up the material, um, mainly I mean taking out things like... lip smacks, um, unnecessary breaths, um, making sure that people aren't talking over one another. And so with that also choosing one of the eight mics that were shot on location. Um, and for a lot of that, it's just a judgment call and, um, and there's definitely some artistic merit to my job, but definitely I need to make sure that technically it sounds good for the stage.
1: Right, and so it's essentially an audio job. Correct. Yeah. And then, what do you what What tools do you use for that?
0: At Sony, we use Pro Tools one hundred percent for, and that makes it easier so that no matter what stage it's going to, uh, we'll all it'll work no problem. Um, and then, when I clean up uh, the material, I'm normally using uh, Isotope. Actually, is one of my biggest. Um my biggest uses, and then um spectral repair is also the other one that I use, and those are the two big ones, otherwise it old school, I use the pencil tool
1: <laughs> nice so cool and um uh, how long have you been doing this
0: I've been cutting dialogue for about ten years um I guess professionally I've been doing it for six um Specifically at Sony, I've actually only been doing it for about three. But I was cutting, I was cutting on features before, outside of Sony before I started working for features and TV within Sony. So.
1: And was that doing dialogue editing or just?
0: That was actually one of the first gigs I got was a really lucky one. I got the opportunity to work on Rango with the director Gore Verbinski, and that was the first time I left Sony was to go work up in La Cunata, where we eventually ended up at Universal. And for that, I was the animatic sound supervisor, which was a blast because, um, I don't know how you're familiar you are with working with animatics, but there's not very much visual information there at that point. In fact, when I first started the film, uh, single frames would hold up for a matter of seconds. Um, Sometimes they would have a couple of frames within a second, but it was just a very, very roughed out uh, film. And so my job was to do everything. And so my job was to interpret whether the character, even though he appeared to be standing still, was running or walking. And I, because there was no script written that I was allowed to see, because they were writing scene 16, while drawing scene twelve, while editing scene eight, and I was working on scene four. So in fact, I didn't even get time to spend with the director. I was just always paying, playing catch up as they were writing the movie. And so that was an incredible experience. It was one of the it was one of the first big things that I worked on when I moved out to Los Angeles. And I was just given partially creative freedom. Again, I I wouldn't know whether Rango as a character was standing walking or running. And so I'd have to interpret that. And then the next day after I'd handed my material up to editorial, uh, the director would come downstairs and go, you know, you, you did him as he was running. But actually, this is just a casual walk over into the next bar. And so then I'd have to redo all the all the footsteps. So that was a lot of fun. But then other times, I would do something and then the director would come down into my office and say, you know what, I didn't even think of that you're right, he should have been running. And so the script was constantly being rewritten because every artist who was there during that phase would bring in their own touch and their own interpretation. And so it was a lot of fun being part of the creation of those characters. Yeah, I
1: bet. So how did you get into dialogue editing? What was your path to becoming a dialogue editor?
0: Um, To go all the way back to university... I actually wanted to get into picture editorial. And so while I I was in school, I realized that there wasn't a strong sound program and um, nobody was really pushing for one. And then they found out that in my third year of college that I was interested in sound. So here I was still pushing to be a picture editor, um, but because I had a background in sound and because I did have interest in it, Once they found out that I wanted, that I, that I knew it, that I was the guy. So in a class of 60, there were only four of us interested in sound. And so, and still in the third year, in my third year of college, I didn't fight it, but I was a little curious why everybody wanted me to do sound. I had, I had no real background at that point. And so, and by fourth year, I couldn't even, you needed two films to edit in order just to get your credits. I couldn't find one. So I was doing sound on everybody's film. I think I did sound on 14 movies that year to finish out my college. And so, um, when I moved out here, I, at that point, sound, I realized was something that I was good at and something that I was interested in and coming from even before wanting to get into picture editorial, I wanted to get into pure maths and sciences. I've had a lot of <laughs> varying, um, dreams, um, I having that math and science background once I got inter- interested in sound I realized that my the creative side necessarily wasn't 100% there for me and so when it came to designing sound effects um sometimes I had a little bit of problem with that I I just don't have that little bit of creativity or that last step of creativity that you need I I enjoy doing hard effects like gunshots and You know, I can fill out scenes with car doors or the footsteps, but the design has always, for me personally, I can hear it, but I I can't quite cut it. And so I realized very early on that I was extremely interested in in dialogue, and I got an incredible opportunity to sit on the dub stage of Pirates of the Caribbean 2 and Pirates of the Caribbean 3, and I met Terry Dorman, the dialogue editor, uh, on that stage, and she kind of took me under her wing, showed me a lot of what she did, and that's what truly sparked it. So when I moved out here, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to do what Terry did. Um, and so it, it was just a matter of working my way up up to that. Um, and that started from working in the shipping department at Sony. Uh, again, getting the opportunity to work on Rango because I was carrying Mag one day when somebody... Who had seen me on the Pirates Three dub recognized me, got some phone calls going, and next thing I knew, I was on Rango.
1: Nice.
0: Um, it was pretty amazing, <laughs> actually. Uh, the story is Gore was had called the uh, would-be mixer and uh, would eventually be mixer, um, and asked if he knew a young kid who he could put in his basement to work on this movie he was developing called Rango. For nine months uh, to just sit there and massage the soundtrack for his movie and as he said that I walked by with the mag and he recognized me from Pirates and wow. so during my internship and so it was pretty amazing and and then it really made it hit home why you know internships and getting yourself out there and speaking with people were so important because otherwise I would have just been another kid walking by with mag and so I got that opportunity. I had a fantastic time working with that crew; was amazing. And then when it finished, at a tough time, you can wait and wait and wait for your first job doing anything. But once you come out of your first job, you still don't really have a name for yourself. So I had trouble finding another gig in sound for my second job. So as I left that, I had to. I actually went back. I got the opportunity to go back into shipping at Sony, and then I've just slowly made my way up from there.
1: Interesting you call it an opportunity when most people would I would think think. Oh, well not necessarily an opportunity, but a well, lowly we'll lead job or whatever, but that's that's a good view to take that it's an opportunity
0: You know, it's a job that I was back working at a studio surrounded by the best um, I hadn't I hadn't left my first and left my first big show And then be forced to go maybe work at a coffee shop or, or just do something that I didn't want to do. I was right at right place, right time. Again, somebody had left shipping as I came off of Rango and I got the opportunity to go back in there because I knew it. And so because, and it was, so it's almost the same way that I got onto Rango. It was right place, right time and knowing and putting in my time and effort and knowing the job before the job became available. And so, once I left Rango, I was looking for something to do. I knew I needed to get back into the studio system. And so, that position became available and I jumped right on it. Great. Which has been amazing because Sony's such a great company that I've been able to work my way up from shipping to building manager to assist, well, to trainee to assistant and now dialogue editor over a course of 5 years. Great. So,
1: so you, um, went to school, you're from Toronto originally.
0: That's correct. Yeah. Toronto.
1: Okay. And then, um, and then what, so what brought you to California just because you knew you wanted to be in Hollywood?
0: Yeah. Once I realized that once I realized that if I wanted to make the movies that I wanted to make, I would have to be in LA. It was, it was a done deal. I I think I, think I let my mom know by my second year of college you know what to be honest she probably knew as soon as I was applying for film school that I'd end up out here I knew I wanted to be out in LA I wanted to be out amongst the big studios um, and I was going to work as hard as I had to to make that happen
1: and I would think now you're a success story for the school
0: I think so (laughs) Um, I hope I hope they look at it like that I'm not sure (laughs) I haven't (laughs) talked to him about it yet I took my exam, and I think it was just a few days later, I hadn't even heard if I had passed my exam or not for my final class that I was taking. Um, I I hadn't got my papers, I packed up my car and I drove out here, and so I got out here and then I heard I passed, and then I had to fly back for my graduation, Uh, which is actually kind of a funny story. I... I, I knew it was my graduation, and I was flying out two days before I was supposed to walk. And because I hadn't been out here for very long, and so I was I was definitely eager and willing, totally trying to prove myself. And so I was working a day job. And then at night, well, they had asked me to do a side project for them. What I didn't tell them was I was flying back that weekend to Toronto for my graduation. But I said, absolutely, if you have a project for me, I'll do it. They thought I was going to be cutting it on Saturday, Sunday, because no matter what, it was due on Monday. Three and a half days straight uh, without without sleep. When the end of it came and I drove home, I got there half an hour before the cab and I put my head down. And I didn't wake up to the cab and I didn't wake up to anything. I missed my flight, thought I was going to miss my graduation, was able to rebook and uh, make it out there for the next day and oh, just man. make my graduation. Oh, but. Man. When I first moved out here, it, it's whatever it takes, and to the actually, it still is, but it's definitely at the start. It's you know when they say jump, you say how high, and then just make sure you go a little bit further.
1: So um, you already talked a little bit about the, the workflow, but I'd like to just go into that a little bit more. If you could um, kind of explain the process and the workflow of the dialogue editor.
0: The dialogue editors specifically, or how we work with all the other editors? Oh, sure, that would be good. Yeah. Okay, I guess on a on a broader level, on how we deal how how we deal how we work with the other editors. Um, first of all, being at Sony. Again, I was saying before that it, I knew I wanted to be in LA working with the majors, and that's because I I, I enjoy dialogue so much that I knew that that's what I wanted to do specifically. And a lot of times, when you get the opportunity to work at smaller places, you find that you're doing a lot more than just that one task. And so, Sony's so great because you specifically have your supervisor who also handles the ADR during the turnover or after the turnover. You have your dialogue editor, your Foley editor, your effects editor, your music editor. And so, because everything is so split up within the sound department, we work in large crews um, and very much with kind of very little chatter that goes back and forth. Every now and then you'll have an idea for the supervisor or you'll have an idea on on something that should or shouldn't be shot for ADR, for example, or you feel um, could use an alt. But a lot of it goes unsaid there's there's a lot of standards that we have um standards for when it goes to stage how the sessions to look um and so there's a lot of uh, like i said there's a lot of stuff that goes on set, and so i knew that that's part of the system that i wanted to be part of i, I knew i wanted to be specifically that cog i wanted to be the dialogue editor um, so sony's been great for that and i've met a lot of fantastic people who are really good some some are great at a lot of things and then some are just really good at design or some there's one of my really good friends there um his job is to cue and cut fully and you know he loves it um and so i i really i really like that because then you get the opportunity to shine in specifically what you want to be doing and again that's that's not for everybody um, some people like to do everything. But um, but then specifically for dialogue, uh, a lot of what I do can be perceived as technical, and, and in fact, it, it probably is. I have my track layout um, that I have to stick to so that it fits on the console. I I have my notes from the supervisor, which are either emailed to me or are just put up on the server. So again, there's very little talk there's not enough time in most cases to sit down with everybody and have a discussion especially right now i'm i'm currently in television not on the feature side um and so when there's a two or three day turnaround for your material and the first day the supervisor the first day of two the supervisor is out shooting adr you can't wait for him to get back (laughs) Because you can't cut twenty minutes in in a day, right? So, um, so there is a lot that goes unsaid and so, or unspoken, and so as soon as I get the material, the we work off the full assemblies. Uh, We have the AAF or the OMF there um, that we can reference. Of course, the guides to make sure that we're in sync. my job is to go through all of the assembly and of the four two four six eight tracks that were recorded on set first and foremost foremost is just to choose my channel that i want um typically the boom uh because it's gonna be the warmest uh or the fullest and then and then but quite often in TV2 you've got to you've got to make you've got to make use of the love um, some of the characters are just moving too quickly and so much happens so fast on TV2 that uh, there will be a lot of love material and then it's just a lot of fading and filling and so um, definitely knowing pro tools and getting used to some of those key commands on the keyboard and other and and i've have my my mouse set up for um, if i hit one button then it does four different tasks and having those key commands so that you can get through the filling so that you can get through the fading so that you can get through the tracking as quickly as possible so that you can do the artistic things that come later on and make sure that lip smacks are separated make sure but include it because there are those directors who say that big lip smack that happened right in front of the word. You've got to make sure, even if it sounds bad, you got to make sure it's still there, but separate it out for the mixer because he'll, as soon as you don't leave it in there, that's the one that he or she will say, Oh, but there was a lip smack right before that. And so, uh, you know, ticks, pops, big feet, uh, making sure that those PFX are properly split out, making sure that, um, you know that it's going to stage six and stage six, if you're going to provide an alt, then he absolutely wants his muted original down on X one. And you know, the fa- the filling up on, and that sort of stuff takes a little bit of time to get used to. And ultimately you have to realize that you're servicing the stage. So what is going to allow them to move the fastest? Um, separating it out too much is going to slow them down not separating it out enough is going to keep their hands tied Um, so splitting stuff out again some people like it uh, split out more some people like it split out less some people like a little bit more movement than other supervisors uh, still in the tracks and so a lot of it's a judgment call of what I do Um, and also knowing who I've worked with before Uh, I have, I've got cheat sheets on every single person, every mixer, every supervisor in my office. uh, um, What they, what they tend to listen for more, uh, what they want taken out more. um, And then, uh, yeah, just make sure the stage is happy. (laughs) (laughs) So.
1: Awesome. Thank you. So, um, what you said you're on TV now what what are you working on or can you talk about it
0: actually <laughs> currently I'm not working on anything oh. um, it is it's the summer, so it's a little bit slow before that uh, we were in the last round of shows that I did though uh, was for pilot season, and so that's always a crazy time of year uh, you end up doing seven days a week you know hundred hour weeks it's um, but then that's, so it's always okay that you get the summer break.
1: <laughs> right.
0: Um, uh, during the summer, or previous, I was working on, I did the first episode of Ray Donovan, which was a lot of fun. Uh, I believe they're working on the eighth episode right now uh, over at Sony. Um, some of the big shows that I've had the opportunity to work on at Sony include uh, Homeland, The Big Sea, uh, which had Laura Linney in it, which was hysterical um, 90210 I mean we in fact our department goes and does everything down to uh, Days of Our Lives and Young and the Restless and um, and so we do the international m for that we, we are a pretty large department and so we do a lot of different shows we also do a lot of MOWs I was working on some movies of the week that come through and those are fun because you get to treat those you normally get slightly more time so they're kind of treated slightly closer to a feature um but again part of the reason i love working at sony is i also got the opportunity or have got the opportunity to work on uh, actual features that come through if they need more crew and so um i got the opportunity back so smurfs in- too Smurfs to yeah, wouldn't... Not for me. <laughs> that might go to uh, some of the guys who've been there a bit longer. <laughs> but um, but they requested that... Or the supervisor actually requested me for the host. So I got the opportunity to work on the host last November, December. Uh, and then we dubbed in January on the grant. And um, that was a blast. I mean, that was so much fun. So it's been it's been a... A lot of fun where I go from cutting two and a half minutes of dialogue a day in feature on the host, or I mean, if you go back to Rango, I think I was cutting. I think of all the days I was there, it ended up I was cutting like 45 seconds a day. Uh, but again, everything so effects, fully design, uh, dialogue. I don't know, it was all ADR, but um, and then I go to television where I'm expected to cut between 9 and 11 minutes of dialogue a day. And the fastest I've ever cut was for a documentary that came through Sony, and I had to cut 60 minutes a day. Uh, They handed it to me... Well, I actually had to do the turnover. So the turnover arrived on a drive at 9 a.m. I had it prepped for about noon or 1, took lunch... And by the end of the day, the next day, it had to be up on the server, the 90-minute, had to be up on the server so that we could go to uh, stage the following morning. Wow. So, yeah, 60 minutes. It was the fastest I've ever cut dialogue, (laughs) which I don't think, I I mean, I I don't know if I could do it again. I mean, I'm sure if I was presented with the task, I'm sure I would be able to, but... There's not a lot of, there's not a lot of thinking that goes into that. There's a lot of tracking and just hit the fade button.
1: Fill and fade. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: So it, for that, it's been great because you really learn how to cut for budget. And that's really all it comes down to is what you always want to do the best job you can. But what it really comes down to is, is the budget. What is the budget allowing you to do? Um, is the budget and i and i really fought this at first because i you always want to do the best job you can but to a certain degree you also have to keep your sanity because the next day and you can't stay there till two in the morning because the next day you have a brand new client who expects you to be awake and attentive and ready to cut their show which they feel is just as important as the last person's show and so if the budget says that I have three days, I can't be spending three days and three nights on a show necessarily. Of course, I'm going to get it to a good spot, and you almost always do overtime. But you have to make sure, too, that you're ready for the next client that comes through. And so if this client says we have enough in our budget to make it two and a half minutes a day that you have to cut, well, then that's the quality of editorial that they're going to receive. And again, I, I had a really tough time with that at first. Sure, but um, but you definitely have to learn that that rule,
1: <laughs>
0: and hopefully, hopefully, you get more of a budget than sixty minutes a day.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> if you were to give advice to people coming up, what what would be like a, a piece of wisdom that you would impart upon them?
0: Ooh. Um. Well, I guess through this, I've talked a lot about talked a lot about timing. I've talked a lot about... There's there's always effort, um, for sure. And that's a fine line between showing somebody you're interested and nagging them. Um, so you definitely have to give the effort. But the effort is, is much more about... Um, it's much more than just telling the people that you want the job. Um, I believe that it's about knowing the next job so if you want the next job if you're not just content in the job that you have right now you have to actively go out and teach yourself that job and train yourself for that job Um, I found that LA in particular moves so quickly that they will say would you like this job can you do it and if you say no Well, then that's a missed opportunity for you because they're not going to give you the opportunity to learn Pro Tools or learn the difference between what a Dialog Editor does and a Foley Editor does. So in your spare time, you need to be actively pursuing that so that the day they do say, are you ready? Your answer has to be yes. And so talk to people, experiment with movies. To this day, I actually still do movies for free. I still do... Um, I still do shows on the side, especially right now during the summer when I have four months off, you know, I'm reading, I'm watching new movies, I'm, I'm actively looking for other movies to work on. Um, so long as it doesn't interfere with the day that they do come back and say, hey, are you ready to work? So long as that doesn't happen, um... Yeah, it's just always making sure that you're ready for the job that you want next. That's the most important thing. Awesome.
1: So what's in the future? Uh, what, what do you got going, coming up and after the summer? Well, after the summer,
0: I'm, I'm, well, I'm currently working on, on five projects outside of Sony. Um, many of them shorts, some of them for friends, some of them uh, first time I'm working with them. Um, again, some of them with a larger scope than others. Uh, some of them with a larger budget than others. Um, and so, but all of them with the best learning experience that I can get from it. If I'm going to work on the movie for free or in my spare time or for a limited budget, then if I'm not going to take money away from the show, then I need to take something else away and positive positive learning experiences is is a fantastic thing and so yeah i'm definitely i definitely keep busy on the side with lots of other projects um and then again just be ready to go for september when the tv season picks back up again and in in my downtime it's not just about projects it's also about networking and so um i mean that's how we met and um but also trying to get the opportunity to either go to other studios or introduce yourself to people um, who you think um, you would get along working with or who you see potential in. Sure. Um, I, that may come across as wrong, but again, you know, you've worked on enough freebies at one point to say, Okay, if this is just a guy doing this in his in his mom's basement, you know, then perhaps my time is better spent reading a book or trying to meet new people. And so, um, yeah, I, I think a lot of networking and a lot of design because right, I'm trying to pick up a bit of design right now um, until my dialogue editorial starts back up in September.
1: Great, and so for an indie. Producer, director, who's you know he's putting together an independent film. What should he know about dialogue, editing, or sound? What is she What should he do to prepare for someone like you to make his film better? Because obviously, that's going to add so much dimension to what he's doing.
0: Well, I think that's a that's a good question that kind of gets some some I I take away from what I say as well. I. I'm a sound supervisor on a lot of these indies. I want to eventually become a sound supervisor full time. Um, A lot of those sound supervisors are also dialogue editors, are also uh, ADR editors. More often than not, the ones that I've met, the ones that I've been introduced to, came from a dialogue side. And it's because we have to know how the picture got from picture editorial over to sound and how that turnover happened um, and the process that that takes to draw um, the director's thoughts out during the editorial process the picture editorial process to then put that into the sound editorial process um, and when you're the dialogue editor I think that he's one of the guys who kind of knows the film best um, um, and so I guess again, coming back to the what would a what should a director know? it's get a good sound supervisor or post supervisor during um not during your production phase but in your pre production phase uh too often, I get phone calls, oh, the budget was blown during production go, of course it was you know <laughs> how many cars did you blow up while you're doing that? Um but if you had known in advance what the cost was to to get it done right, and that's the biggest thing. Again, it's it's not all about money, money, it's but it's about getting the opportunity to get the right editors, to get the good editors, to to commit to a certain amount of time so that they're not cutting sixty minutes a day, so that they're cutting two and a half minutes a day. Um And so by getting a good post-production supervisor who understands the post-process or a good sound supervisor more specifically who knows the sound process so that when you get to that point, um, you're not surprised when you hear, oh, sound is a six-man crew plus scoring, plus ADR, plus your three Foley artists. And then you get to the dub stage um, where you have two two guys behind the console, Um, you've got a recordist in the back and you're paying for stage time. A lot of that comes as a surprise to a lot of first-time movie makers. Um, It's not a one-man or two-man job like picture editorial quite often is. It takes a lot of guys a lot of hours to do. And so definitely doing your research and being prepared for that and just having a small understanding of it because... There's somebody else there to guide you. The post production supervisor is there to guide you. So lock in a good one, but have an idea for the process. I think that's that's really important. And it's really important to do in pre production while you can still do something about the schedule or the budget or whatever. Right. Yeah. Even making your actors aware that, hey, three months after we finish shooting, you're gonna have to come back for ADR. You know, too often that's a surprise. (laughs)
1: if you can get him again (laughs) yeah exactly exactly
0: (laughs) well he moved out of country i can't tell you how many times i've heard that (laughs) well can we fly him back (laughs) no that's not in the budget either (laughs) so
1: right yeah well thanks sean cool thank you well there you go thanks for listening to this post life please like subscribe and review the show If you like what you hear, thanks a lot.